First uh, Peter chapter two, starting in verse four. It says here this coming to him as a, as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by God and precious you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ therefore it is also contained in the scripture behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame therefore to you who believe he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which, to which they, were also, they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right. We're going to skip. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but we all know that scripture. We've heard it read, or we've heard parts of it read many different times in many different ways, I'm sure, at, at one point or another. But it's not exactly a scripture that we hear a lot in the church. It's not one that we hear preached on a lot because um, I got to thinking about that over, over the last few years that's a difficult topic for us to, to approach so today we're going to approach it anyway and uh, we're going to see where it takes us but how many of you have ever seen uh, I want to say it was a far side the far side do you remember the far side anybody the little cartoon that it used to have I think the most popular uh, the most well-known is the one with the school for the gifted with the door saying pull and the kid pushing as hard as he can trying to get in but there's there's many different ones and i used to love uh you know just getting that book and reading through all the comics that gary larson had put in there uh but i i want to say this was a far side but it was a cartoon or it was something similar to it but it showed a crazed man being led away from a church in a straitjacket and on the steps of the church, you can assume it was the pastor. He's the one wearing the suit. Uh, but there's two men talking, and one of them, which I'm guessing is the pastor, uh, the preacher comments to another man says, I'm going to miss Lewis. He, he volunteered for everything. And, you know, as funny as the cartoon is, it's funny because it's real. And what you said this morning and the fact that we have this crew that is actually here today, you know, the, the situation simply is this. There are a lot of folks within the church who volunteer for everything. And then there are some who won't volunteer for anything because they think that um, it's, it's going to literally drive them crazy. Well, as we look at this today, and, and I know that I know I've gotten frustrated many times uh, within the church, not here necessarily, but just in reality, when we look at it, there are some who could probably vouch for me sitting here today who are thinking, okay, you know, I've been there, I've dealt with this, I've, I've gone through these circumstances. And the thing is, is it's not going to drive you crazy to serve within the church. I can, I'm going to go ahead and just set that straight right now. 
But how many of you have gotten frustrated to the point where you thought it might? Show of hands, no. Don't want anybody to know that you did. I see, this, I see that smile, but I'm... <laughs> but no, I mean, the reality is, is that yes, there are frustrations within the folks that serve in the church, but being too involved is not something that's going to drive anyone crazy. So if you're one of those people who do serve, I don't want this to serve as an opportunity for you to say, well, I'm going to step back. But those of you who don't serve, and if you're listening at home and hearing this, you know, because I mean, we are down on numbers because of the weather today. But the reality of it is, is that basically what we're looking at, it's not going to drive you crazy to serve within the church. Whether it's, you know, there's no such thing as too involved when it comes to what the actual service within the church really is. Now, I think that there are opportunities, and we'll talk about them as we go on, but I honestly believe that there is no possible way to become so involved in the church that it drives you crazy. I don't think there's any possible way that you can get too involved in service for the Lord. But um, the main reason that I would say that is because every preacher in America, every preacher that you see in a church would likely be taken out in a straitjacket if that was the case because preachers do get quite involved i mean i've heard stories of preachers who are when they're working you know they they've got the bible in front of them while they're doing a workout or you know it's it's constant and and y'all know how busy i am at times so you know now i don't think there's any such thing as being too involved in the lord's work but of all the people in the church the preacher typically does seem to be one of the most committed. But today, what I want to address is it doesn't always have to be just the preacher who is doing the ministry that the church needs to do in the community. And that's something for us to really think about and understand. Um, as we continue this Growing Pains series, today I want to talk about maturing as a minister. And, and as I say that, what I want... You know, what I want us to think about, though, the more involved a person is in ministry, the more satisfied and fulfilled that person can become. Now, I read the scripture and you heard it. I'm talking to you now about being a ministry and uh, most of you are probably sitting there thinking, okay, this sermon's for like two people, but it's not. This sermon is not for two people. It's not something that we need to really, I mean, I think it's something we all need to hear. And uh, basically what it comes down to, people do get frustrated when they're serving. You know, it, it is frustrating serving God sometimes because we don't get the answers that we think we might need to see. Sometimes it's because we're faced with difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's because you're faced with difficult people. Sometimes it's a shortage of resources. Sometimes, you know, there's frustrations. I mean, Joe or... Blake or Lamar or Charlie could probably any of them tell you that they've been frustrated in ministry at some point, either in this church or somewhere else, where they have, I mean, where you just see things and it's not what you hoped it would be. It's not what you thought it should be. But we've all become that way in some things. You know, just as we were talking this morning about what we might do going into the summer as far as activities and different things like that. What we find ourselves in is we find ourselves frustrated because we're like, you know, I really want to do this. I really think this is something that needs to be done. 
But, you know, here's the thing. First of all, we need to overcome those frustrations in our lives. When we have a difficult time, when we have a frustration like that, what the first thing we need to do is ask ourselves two questions. We need to ask ourselves a couple of questions about the situation. And the reason being is it's more about ourselves in the situation for us to understand the situation a little more. Number one, why are you here? Or no, not why are you here. Who are you? Number one, who are you? And I'm going to address these today during the sermon, but number one, who are you? Ask yourself that question if you get into a frustrating situation. Who are you? Because when you have to face the reality of who you really are, and in some cases, whose you really are, you start to open your eyes a little bit more to the situation. Number two is, why are you doing what you're doing? Who are you and why are you doing what you're doing? Those two questions are something that can really lead you into a better thought process on a frustrating situation. It's something that I've had to come to terms with over the last couple of weeks. As I've studied for this and really got into the messages here, it's really opened my eyes a little bit to how I let things affect me. My frustrations have actually seemed a little less recently because I've started to think through the process just a little bit more than I normally have. Peter addresses this exact issue. Peter addresses it in what we read this morning. And what I want to do is I want to get into that and I want to talk about it because God has given us a special status in his kingdom. There's a special status that we've been given. It's in verses 5 and in verse 9. It says, um, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9 it says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Two times in this section of seven verses, we see what we are in the eyes of God. Peter reminds us that we are what? We are priests. We are part of a priesthood. Meaning that we're not just some bystander. We're not just some uh, run-of-the-mill, ordinary person. I think I I watched the the 30 for 30 about NC State winning the national championship again this week because... For some reason, I, Jim Valvano, the way that he spoke, he mentioned something in a, in a speech. And, and many of you probably remember who Jim Valvano was. Uh, if you don't, then I'll remind you. The ESPYs were 1993, I think it was, was when he passed away. But 1993, we see it every year when the ESPY Awards start. We see it when they do the Jimmy V Week. It's the don't give up, don't ever give up speech. But... One of the speeches that he gave, I remember hearing him say that he had heard a coach say it when he was a kid, but it really opened his eyes to the situation was that he said, God must really like ordinary people because he made so many of them. And then, and he said he heard this as a kid at camp and he said, as a 16 year old kid, you're hearing that. And the first thought that comes through your head is you're going, well, that's kind of, you know, hurtful. You know, it, it, it. It upsets you a little bit. It hurts your feelings because you you don't want to think that you're just ordinary. But then he said the next thing that the guy said changed his life forever. Because he said, he, he said the statement that God must love ordinary people because he made so many of them. And then he said, but God has a way of 
making of leading ordinary people to do the extraordinary. And if we really think about it in that way and we start to look at it in that way, all of a sudden our lives can change because God can use what we would deem ordinary to do extraordinary things. The extraordinary things that we see happen on this earth are not done by people who are who we would consider ordinary, but they were. Plain and simple. We're all a little bit ordinary. We're all just a, a human. We're all created. But somewhere along the line, God has used us to do the extraordinary. God has given us an opportunity to do something greater than ourselves. And when we get done, we look back, we feel, hey, something here happened and it wasn't just me. It wasn't that I did this on my own. This is where we realize, I mean, Moses was just an ordinary man, but he parted the Red Sea. I mean, that's quite a big feat that no ordinary man could actually do on his own. But yet Moses parted the Red Sea is how we tell the story, right? But the reality is God parted the Red Sea because of Moses' obedience. But he used Moses to do something extraordinary. And so if we look at it in that way, we go back to the Old Testament. Let's take a moment just to look at what priests are. In the Old Testament, a priest was considered a special person. So, you know, they were go-betweens for men and God. You, you had to go to the priest and then he would present your... Uh, your request to the Lord. Uh, they led in worship and taught from the scriptures. They wore special robes, which distinguished them from the rest of society and from other worshipers. And they could only, they only could handle the things that were holy. Only them could be the ones that actually handled the incense, the sacrifices, the furniture of the tabernacle and anything related to the worshipers. And they were the only ones allowed into the Holy of Holies. They were the only ones that were allowed to come before the Lord in that sense. Now, if we look at the tabernacle, we look at the temple in that, they had a distinctive initiation before they could even enter their office. They had to be, they had to be bathed. They had to put on a new robe. And they were appointed as um, marks of their office. They were basically given this opportunity but they had to go through certain uh, steps to get there. And not just anyone could become a priest because you had to be born in the tribe of Levi. You see, there were some stipulations on them in the Old Testament. Now, Peter is telling us that we are a holy priesthood and that we are a royal priesthood. So Peter's not the only one, though. If we go through the New Testament, we can see that this has changed now. Jesus started the trend of changing this because uh, John wrote in Revelation, Jesus uh, makes this, or the statements made in Revelation, and we can assume that in the words there, it's either God or Jesus, he means, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. So it would likely be that Jesus is the topic of his conversation there. But it says, has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. If we go to Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus even was born that under the new covenant, you and I would be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. So we've all heard that statement that we seem to think is cliche in church that we're all ministers, right? 
that we're all ministers of the gospel. But the reality of it is, how have we become like the Old Testament priests is, is the question. How have we been born of the line of Jesus? Or, you know, how have we become like these? We've been born of the line of Jesus. We've been given the opportunity through the sacrifice that he made. He came and he gave his life. But his blood, his sacrifice, his opportunity for God's children to become priests, to become ministers of the gospel, just in their in their life, we were set apart for the priesthood when we were saved. When we accept Christ into our hearts, when we become Christians, we are set apart to be ministers of that gospel. And just like the priests of old, we were washed with water. We were given a new robe. We were given those new garments to be put on and we followed the rules what is it? acts 238 repent and be baptized and you will you shall receive the gift of the holy spirit you know we're told that within the scripture so when we see this those priests have put on a new garment galatians 327 paul writes all of you who were baptized into christ have clothed yourselves with christ we've been given a new robe so we have done the necessary steps to become that minister. And now we are priests of God. We have a right to handle the holy things of God. We don't have to go to the priest as a go-between. We can go directly to God. We can do those things. Let me just give you a quick list of the things that we can handle as, as followers, as Christians. Number one, we have the privilege of coming before God in prayer. We don't have to wait on a priest to do that for us. We have the right to touch and partake in communion. We've done that already this morning. You can actually reach into the plate and take the communion yourself. You can take the cup yourself. You can touch and hand out and distribute. You can do those things. That's not reserved for just one person. That's not reserved for just one group of people. The reality is, is we all have the right to baptize others into Christ. It doesn't have to be just me. It doesn't have to be just Joe or Blake. It can be any of us. Any of us can baptize someone else. If they want to be baptized, you just have to know what the Lord and what's going on. I mean, we have that opportunity. We have the responsibility of knowing and teaching the word of God. That's an everyday act. That is an everyday thing. All of these things. And we have no need for anyone other than Jesus to intercede on our behalf to God. Jesus must do the intercession for us because he is the, the high priest, so to speak. He is the one. But we, can, we don't need the go-between other than Jesus' blood. The sacrifice that he made. We have. He is the door, basically. We have to go through that specific door. We can't just go through any old door we want. I mean, Jesus even told us that, that what was it, narrows the gate and straight is the way, or straight is something. I don't know. That. I can't remember exact wording. I didn't have it noted here. But what we're basically seeing is when it comes down to it within the church today, we have a misconception because we still want to tie some of these Old Testament and New Testament things together. Just because we have a preacher doesn't mean that he is the high priest necessarily. He's not the only one that can pray. Now, I do pray for you, and I ask that you pray for me. But see, there's that opportunity that you have to pray. 
I don't have to be the one that handles communion. I don't have to be the one that does the baptism. If Blake wanted to be baptized, Lamar can do the baptism. That's, you know, you can choose someone to baptize you as long as they are of that faith. And as long as they are a minister and a Christian. I know that's a hard thing to understand. But, uh, well, let me just think, you know, I've heard stories about this. But uh, first things first, you know, I want to look at some of these things. And then I'm going to get back to this baptism story for a second. But, you know, there are many people today who, who have problems coming to grips with this idea of priesthood. Let me just lay that out there for us real quickly. But. Peter meant when he when he wrote this that we are all priests, that we are all ministers of the gospel. And there are many that think the preacher has to do everything, just as I was saying. So, you know, I heard a story about a pastor um, one time who he was actually sitting down. And I know that there are churches locally that do this. Um, and to be honest with you, I would probably offer the opportunity if someone wants to be baptized to see if they wanted someone else to do the baptism besides me. I mean, and the reason being is because of the special, the specialness of the moment. But, you know, he, he had sat down and, and he had spoken with uh, someone about baptism. And then he asked, he said, well, who do you want to do the baptism? And the response he got, he responded, it was responded to, it says, I thought you had to do the baptism. You see, that's a misconception that we have. If we the thing is, is if it was just up to me to do the baptisms within the church, or if it was just up to Jesus to do the baptism, then why in the world was Philip on the road with the eunuch, with the eunuch and he baptized him? You know, why, why was Philip the one who got to do the baptism there? Because he just kind of happened upon it, right? I mean, it's not like there was a big church service or anything else. I mean, he took an opportunity to baptize. John the Baptist himself was not an ordained minister necessarily he was ordained by the holy spirit but reality of it is is he was doing baptisms in the wilderness obviously it was a wasn't a new thing because they came and you know but i mean we don't i'm not saying jesus didn't baptize but i don't see any documentation of it in scripture where jesus actually did a baptism do you blake other than the baptism of the holy spirit I mean, the reality of it is, is that there's there's no real documentation that Jesus was doing baptisms. John the Baptist was. I mean, so the reality is, is that does it have to be a specific way? Do we have to look at it like the Old Testament church? Theologically, people think that the pastor or the preacher is the only one allowed to do certain things within the church. And I'm going to tell you today that no is the answer to that. Because anyone who is a Christian is considered a priest and is empowered by God through the Holy Spirit to do some of those things. And that does include baptism. And others who don't really quite understand this, <laughs> this is my favorite one, is when you get a phone call from the funeral home and it says, okay, we need to list you in the program. How do you want us to list you? Is reverend? I'm like, no. There's no one to be revered but the Lord. And I have had this argument. It's like, what do you want us to call you? Reverend? Pastor? I don't like necessarily either of those terms um, for me. Because the pastor is the elders of the church. The pastor are the ones who are tending as shepherds to the flock. Um, not that I'm not trying. But, you know, just call me Philip. That, that's that's kind of how I look at it. 
My dad was the same way. I heard my dad say that many times. But the reality is, I I can never allow, I don't like to be called Reverend. I mean, to call me Reverend, it it makes me cringe because to me, you're revering me for something that I don't deserve. I don't deserve to be called a Reverend because God is the only one to be revered in that way. I don't think that that's something that is wrong. I'm not the only minister that I know of that feels that way. But I would rather just be called Philip. I mean, you don't have to put a special title on me. If you want to call me a minister, then that's fine. If you want to call me preacher, that's fine. I don't necessarily think that I deserve any titles. Titles to me, I don't think need to really exist within my walk with Christ. And one of the reasons why is, well, I mean, to revere means to hold in awe. And I don't really want you to hold me in awe over the Lord. Um, pastor, like I said, is a description of the elders in the church. And I'm, you know, I'm not one of those. And the other thing is, is in, you know, I think it undermines some of the teaching that God has given us through Christ. Um, Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 through 12. I'll turn there real quick and, and uh, read that for us. But, you know, Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12, we see uh, something that kind of addresses this. Uh, it says, But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. He who is in heaven. Do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And who he who humbles himself will be exalted. I don't need titles. I don't want titles. I don't think we, any of us, want titles. Jesus addresses this by pretty well saying that there's only one God, there's only one uh, true teacher, there's only one rabbi, it's, it's Christ. And then he even goes so far as to say, don't call anyone on earth your father because you only have one father, your father in heaven. And he even takes it a step further at one point and talks about how, you know, you've got to deny your own family on this earth if you want to truly follow what God needs you to follow in life. So as we mature, as we start to look at this, I want to take us a little bit deeper into this um, because what we're seeing, and I may have, I'm, I'm going to try to wrap this up pretty quickly, but what we're seeing is this. What, what we know is that as we mature in the faith, we're all called ministers. And it all comes down to us becoming more mature in ourselves. You know, there's a couple of theological reasons why people have un, have trouble understanding this priesthood of all believers. But there's another even more underlying reason that people have difficulty with this as Christians. And the next issue is not as much theological as it is practical. Because this is where I feel I might owe you an apology. You know, as members of this church, my question is, am I taking too much of a role? in doing certain things. You know, I, I have talked with pastors before. Small churches have a problem sometimes with this where the pastor comes in and he takes over. I mean, you know, well, we can 
think about Paul and how he handled things sometimes or um you know I I had uh, heard a, a minister mention this one time in a sermon where he said he went in and he preached the sermons. He sang in the choir. He led the singing. He gave the opening and closing prayers during worship. Gave the meditation at the at the uh, Lord's table. He mowed the yard and he worked with the youth. Well, if you look at that, there's really not anything left in that church for him to do, right? But then again, there's not really anything left in the church for anyone else to do either. So if we look at it today, I mean, am I taking a role by not allowing someone else to step up? And that's something I've got to look at as um, the preacher. You know, am I taking too much of a role in the church or are we stepping up? And I think we do a great job. I think that there are many of us in the church today who step up the right way, who do things the right way. But there are still some who sit back and say, well, you know, well, I, I can't really get involved in this or that. I can't really get myself into that. I'm not complaining about it because I enjoy doing what I do. I enjoy serving in the way that I get to serve this church, but I don't want to rob anyone else of their opportunity to serve. If you feel you need to be in some some form of service within the church, then by all means, step up and ask. Take that role. Do that thing. I mean, it's not that... We don't want you to be involved. Is sometimes people don't know you want to be involved. Sometimes people don't know that your heart has leaned toward that. Sometimes it's difficult for others to discern what the Spirit has told you because it wasn't a message that was told to anyone else. If Blake wants to do something in the church, then Blake needs to step up and, and make it known because he feels the Spirit has led him to do it. You know, whatever it might be, if if Nicholas wants to do the same thing, then Nicholas needs to make it known because the Spirit is dealing with you on those issues. The same goes for each one of us in this room today. If we are feeling the need to do something and the Spirit won't let us let it go, then by all means, step up and do it. There's no reason you should be turned away because the Holy Spirit is leading you, but you don't have a place to fit in. And I, I, by all means, don't want to be the one that robbed you of that opportunity. So as we see this and as we move forward, one of the things that I want to just mention is this. You know, my responsibility, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, tells me my responsibility, you know, anyone really in here who, who serves in that type of role, Joe, Blake, Charlie, Lamar, you serve in a role in the church Our responsibilities are to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is our role as leaders in the church. That is the role that we are to undertake, is to prepare God's people for works of service. Prepare. It doesn't say do the works of service for them. It doesn't say guide them and hold their hand and lead them through it. It says prepare them for the works of service. And if I'm not doing my job preparing you for those works of service that you can do in your life, if Joe's not doing his job preparing us as an elder to do the works of service that the Lord has prepared us to do, then there's a problem within our church. 
If we're not being prepared, then I need to step out of the way of something. If I'm not allowing someone to step up and do the role that they need to do, then I need to take a step back. Because if I'm just doing it because I feel like it's something I need to do to get it done right, there's a problem. Because it's not being done right if that's my attitude. You see, what a person was a priest in the Old Testament, it meant they had a job to do. But there were three different types of jobs that were done. And there were three different groups of people. And if you know, look at Numbers 4, you can see the three different groups of people that did those. But I'm basically saying this. I mean, it's all very interesting. And some of you may still be sitting there going, well, why are you telling us this? And I'm going to wrap it up in this way. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand that every priest had a job to do. Every priest in the Old Testament had a job that they were responsible for. Every priest ministered unto God. And many of those priests had very basic jobs that they did. If you want to know what some of those jobs are, you had some who were in charge of the coverings and the curtains. I mean, you had certain groups of people who were in charge of little things. So basically what it adds up to, last week we talked about that God expects us to grow up and to become mature. You know, if we do our jobs right, if I do what I'm supposed to do, if Blake's doing his job, if Joe's doing his job, if others are doing their jobs, then we will prepare God's people for works of service today. Part of growing up, part of becoming mature is learning to take on our own responsibilities learning to take on your own responsibility if you aren't willing to do your your own work in life you're not going to get very far your parents can only take you so far and then you have to take the reins and move forward in your own life and it's the same thing with the spiritual walk we can only take you so far and eventually you got to let go of the hand if a kid you've seen it and we'll wrap it up this way You've seen a baby. When a baby's learning how to walk, and you can take it by the hands and you walk with it, and you walk, and then eventually you've got to let go. Or maybe it's the training wheels on a bicycle. Eventually, they have to center themselves up and get off of the training wheels. You know, you've got those three or four different settings. You start low, where they're always on the ground. Then you come up a little bit to give them a little bit of play. Come up a little bit more to give them a little bit more play. And then eventually you take them off because they learn how to keep it straight. You see, there's opportunity there. But if a child relies on those training wheels all the time, they're never going to learn how to ride the bicycle without them. But if they learn how to balance, if they learn how to get straight, if they learn how to get it right, then they will find it. In fact, we deal with children all day long. And what is the number one response when you ask a child to do something? Or if there's a mess. Let's say there's a mess that they didn't make, but you ask them to clean it up. What's the number one response? I didn't do it. That's not mine. I mean, dealing with middle schoolers, I, I hear that constantly. But at the end of the day, as an adult, You know, when all the middle schoolers have gone home and I'm still standing there looking over the mess that's still not cleaned up after baseball practice, the first thing I have to do is clean it up. Why? Because I'm the one the responsibility falls on. I'm the adult in the situation. I'm the one that's got to do the cleaning because it needs to be done. We can't say in the church, it's not my job. 
we can't say today that it's not our job. And basically, what it really comes down to is as a church, we'll only attain our full strength if we start to assume the roles that we were designed for. If we feel the Spirit leading us to do something, then we need to mature in the faith enough to let go of the hand, to take off the training wheels, and to move forward full force into the job that the Lord has called us to do. If the Spirit is calling you to get involved, then get involved. We've got to realize as ministers that jobs need to be done, and we're the ones that need to do them. It might be replacing a roll of paper tiles in the bathroom because it's out. It might be replacing a roll of toilet paper in the bathroom because it's out. It might be something as simple as wiping water off of the countertop because someone didn't notice that they had gotten it there. It might be something as simple as wiping something off a mirror because you can't fully see a reflection. And it's just little things like that. But let's together prepare for the works of service that the Lord has called us to do. I hope I'm preparing you in the proper way. I hope you feel prepared as we move forward and as we talk about these things over the next couple more weeks. But what I really want us to see today, what I really want us to understand is simply this. We're here together for a purpose. You know, it reminds me of a story I once heard about a kid, a teacher who was teaching vacation Bible school and she had noticed that one of the kids in her class only had one hand. Well, at the end of one of the classes, it called for them to do that little thing where you put the hands together. And so she didn't really want to make a big deal about it. She kind of wanted to even let it go because she didn't want to bring attention to the fact that this child only had one hand. But as the class started to wind down, she goes, all right, now if you'll put your hands together. And she had done just exactly what she didn't want to do. Because when you've got a kid with one hand, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the doors, there's people. That's the, everybody knows that. But see, the beautiful thing about it in that class was there was this little girl who was sitting next to the boy. She held up her hand and she said, here, let's build the church together. You see, if we're doing that today, if we're building the church together, it might be my hand and yours. It might be that we together have to put that to build it, to make it work, to grow it, to get it farther. It might be that we need to bring others in. We together are much stronger than we could ever be apart. We together are much stronger as a body of Christ. He didn't call each one of us to be the same part of the body nor did He call us to do it on our own. He called us to be different parts of the body and to do it together because as different parts of the body, we can accomplish more. If we're all ears, all we're ever going to do is hear. If we're all mouths, nobody's going to hear a thing we say because we're all talking at the same time. If we're all hands, then there's too many hands in the midst of the battle anyway. Whatever it comes down to, Let's build this church together. 